We dedicate this episode of Witness Radio to the late, great Paul Farmer, who famously said, The idea that some lives matter less is the root of all that is wrong with the world. Witness Radio. The past two years have brought the world changes never imagined. A global pandemic, the lockdowns and the losses, the border closures, and the politics of avoiding illness. But throughout it all, there's one thing that hasn't skipped a beat. The U.S. deportation machine. My guest today, Thomas Cartwright, dedicated his time during the past 24 months of the global pandemic collecting, compiling, and communicating data that the U.S. government would prefer you did not know. On this U.S. Black History Month 2022 installment of Witness Radio, Tom gives us a tale of two presidencies in numbers that reveal the scope of the expulsions of Haitians under Biden, as well as the scale of the deportation flights to Africa under his predecessor. All right. I'm here with my colleague at Witness at the Border, my colleague Thomas Cartwright, who has been tracking ice air flights diligently for two years. I personally don't know how he does it because the news doesn't get better and it must be hard to face every day. We'll talk about that, Tom, but let's start with just some basics for the listener who might not really know about ice air. What is it? Does it operate like a commercial airline? What are the differences in the planes that ICE Air operates? Are there hub and spoke models like there are within the commercial industry? Can you just give us the basics? What is ICE Air? Sure, Sarah. Thank you. ICE Air is a division of Department of Homeland Security, and it's under ICE. And the way it operates is they have contracted with a single air broker, Classic Air Charter. And Classic Air Charter then subcontracts to various charter airlines, the dominant ones being Swift Airlines, also known as iAero, and World Airlines, also known as Caribbean Sun. And these airline charters then operate the ICE Air flights that go both domestically as well as almost all of the international ones that are removal flights. And on any given day, there are generally 10 to 12 different planes in the air flying routes. And when it gets very busy, sometimes there's as many as 15 to 16 planes in the air at any given time. Uh huh. I track over 120 planes. From there, I winnow it down to which ones are ICE flights, because these airlines obviously fly for other purposes. And they fly, as I mentioned, domestically, because there's 200 different detention centers around the United States. There's probably 20 to 25 that they fly routinely throughout the week. And then, of course, there's the international destinations, Central America, South America, the Caribbean primarily. Tell us about when this particular system began. We've had a deportation machine in the United States going back before there were planes in the air, but that was mostly deporting Mexicans by boat. When did this system explode to warrant 
needing six different charter airlines in the air on any one day. Actually, the United States started flights in the mid 50s. And it was with the uh, charter airline Flying Tigers. Planes started deporting people back to various countries, including Mexico. And it really accelerated, kind of exploded under Clinton, Obama, and, and now very consistently. Just as an example, over the last two years, we've documented and tracked over 11,000 ICE Air flight legs, specifically ICE Air, of which over 2,000 uh, were removal flights to other countries. And of those numbers, about half have been under the Biden administration. What compelled you to start tracking and when did you start tracking ICE Air flights? Yes, well, we were uh, as witness at the border in Brownsville in uh, January of 2020. And we were there to witness the atrocities of uh, MPP, Migrant Protection Protocols Number 1, remain in Mexico. And so we would witness at the park and in Matamoros. And then uh, one day, Carla Barber said she heard there were ICE air flights leaving, deporting people out of the Brownsville airport. So we thought, well, maybe we should go out there and see what that's all about. So a group of us then started going out to the airport very early in the morning, and we started to learn how to find and identify these flights, uh, even if it was just one airport. And so we would go out and uh, in the mornings very early and witness flights. And the one thing that is true is once you see them, it's not about the flight, it's about the people. And the people really tug at your heart. So while we were doing that, it was like, there's nobody that understands this. There is no transparency. And secondarily, we were watching all of these flights and learning the magnitude of this operation with over 50,000 people in detention centers, 200 different detention centers across the United States. And then as things developed with the pandemic, we were all forced back into our homes. And so we realized that there was something we could do to witness virtually, something that we could do to bring some transparency to this issue. And again, witness virtually. We were gonna do two studies really, trying to look at did ice air and ice change anything because of COVID? So in other words, did they lower the number of flights they were operating, either deportation or those flights within the United States? So the first kind of research product we wanted to do was in the three months before COVID, did it look like the three months after COVID? And basically nothing changed. So we were seeing people being basically ferried between detention centers in the midst of a COVID pandemic, spreading the disease throughout the, the detention population. And so that was the first thing we really hit on. And then once we had started the process, we said, well, why don't we just continue this? Because there is no reporting on this. And this is something, again, we could witness virtually and bring some transparency to everyone who was interested. Right. But one thing did change, and that is that because of the pandemic, U.S. commercial airspace sort of came to a screeching halt. So it actually became easier for you to track ICE air flights because they were sometimes the only planes in the air. Is that right? 
Yeah, it was easier because they weren't flying as many flights. These airlines, Swift and World Atlantic, who were primarily the ones flying then, were not flying, um, you know, flights for casinos or flights for schools, um, for athletic teams and so forth. So um, those all came to a stop. So it was a little easier then to establish the patterns of location right. as well as the planes that fly. All right. So at the risk of asking you to give away your secrets, how do you collect the data? Yeah, well, I start with using um, the FlightAware application, which is a public application that will uh, track um, flights. And generally, it just tracks it by flight number, which really doesn't uh, do the job for what, what we're trying to do. So I actually have a higher version that will track by plane um, that I subscribe to, which is uh, a little higher level than the public version. And so I track basically by plane. And um, I know planes that have flown these before by watching the uh, airports that they typically fly to and mm -hmm. other things. And so I track probably uh, over a hundred planes. Wow. So that has to be combined obviously with um, knowledge of where the typical routes are, Mm -hmm. where ice air flies in and out of both uh, domestically and internationally because mm -hmm. I, I probably track on the uh, you know on a given day well over 200 different flight legs of which there would be probably 20 to 30 ice air so all the others have to be basically ignored or discarded uh-huh wow that <laughs> sounds like a lot of work and it's all day long and into the night uh, yes, generally, several hours a day, basically, wow. the time there. And then you have to accumulate them all in a database because, um, you know, over two years, we have well over 10,000 just ice air flight legs. Right. So you said you, you mentioned a couple of terms, and I want you to clarify them before we talk about the numbers and the, and the routes. Flight legs, um, yeah. I'd like to know what that means. And you also... On page 15, I'm going to refer everyone to Tom's monthly reports that he puts out. And this one, January 4th, covers two years of data, so two presidencies. Um, and on page 15, you, you lay out the way you're categorizing these flights. So I'd love you to explain that. And one of them that's missing is lateral, where, which I think is new this year. And I'd love to know what that is as against shuffle flights? Yes, um, good question. So they're basically classified into um, removal related, which would be deportations and expulsion flights under Title 42. Mm -hmm. And there's three types of removal related uh, flight legs, which would be point to point. So a flight leg would be uh, one city to another city. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the related ones are uh, classified as connect, meaning it's a flight that goes from one city to another city, and then from there typically to a foreign country for a removal flight. So gotcha. same day, it's just a continuation, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's the actual removal flight, which would be, for example, from Harlingen, Texas to uh, Guatemala City. Mm -hmm. And then there would be the return flight, which would be Guatemala City back to uh, a U.S. city. So mm -hmm. those, those are the removal-related flights. And then there are flights that uh, classify as shuffle flights. 
And these are flights that basically are just flights city to city in the United States, not directly connected that day to a removal flight. So these would be a flight, for example, from Miami, Florida to Columbus, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then lateral flights are basically a subcategory of shuffle flights. Mm -hmm. They're used to move people uh, just across the border, um, generally because uh, uh, Customs and Border Patrol, CBP, um, has an overcrowding issue in certain locations. So for example, lately there have been a lot of flights from Yuma, Arizona, to both uh, El Paso uh, and to Laredo. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so they're basically just moving um, folks uh, that have crossed from, from those cities. And they're typically not, haven't gone through processing uh, mm -hmm. by CBP until they get to their, their destination. I gotcha. So shuffling means potentially moving de detainees from one ICE facility to another. Whereas lateral, the folks aren't in detention yet. They've shown up at the border. There is extreme overcrowding, like we saw in Del Rio when um, 15,000 Haitians uh, pooled up there and they needed to be moved to El Paso or Laredo to be processed. Right, correct. And in some cases in the lateral flights, at least early on, not so much now, some were actually expelled when they got to their destination city in, for example, San Diego or Tucson or mm -hmm. El Paso. And it, it also sounds like you're making a distinction between removal and expulsion being removal, they're taken out of the United States and sent home, whereas expulsion because of Title 42, which is a obscure section of our health code that has allowed both President Trump and President Biden to just keep people from coming in altogether. These are people who are just sent away without any due process under the law. Yes, um, I used to use, we started with the term deportation always because that mm -hmm. was before Title 42. When Title 42 came into play, people were expelled without any chance to assert any claim for asylum or any other kind of protection. Mm -hmm. They are not deportations, but expulsions. The removal flights would be an umbrella term for both deportation flights, which also mm -hmm. still exist, plus flights that expel uh, people that have been subjected to Title 42. Okay, gotcha. All right, so um, full disclosure, um, I see data and my head starts to spin. That's why I'm a writer. <laughs> but but I also know that data tells stories. So I want to pick through the data and your methodology to look at what are the stories that are emerging? What are the stories being told? So just from a from a high-level perspective, can you summarize the findings of two years of tracking? What did you say, 200 legs a day? Yes, yeah. Um, essentially, um, we have seen almost 11,000 legs that, that have been flown over the last two years. And I think like 
many people, um, the anticipation was the, the flights that we saw last year, the 4,800 flights last year would be fewer flights this year, mm -hmm. uh, the new administration. The unfortunate thing is uh, that's not the case. Um, of those 11,000 flights, almost 5,900 have been since inauguration. Oh, wow. And those are total flights. But even if we look at removal flights, um, over the last two years, we've seen a little over 2,000 removal flights, and about 1,000 of those have happened since inauguration. So the two presidents are running a bit neck and neck, but actually Biden has been more active. Yes, and you know the tools are a little different. Under Trump, um, you know there were still deportations in the first, you know, basically four months, and now it's primarily Title 42 significantly more people being returned by air under Title 42. And I might mention, even though we're focused here on, on ICE air and these tremendous number of flights, which you know would represent probably close to 900,000 airplane seats of people over two years, still over this time, probably only between five and 10% of the people that are returned under Title 42 are done so by air. There's a tremendous number of people that are basically just sent to Mexico under Title 42. Just bust across the border and said, bye-bye. Yes. And are you able to calculate flights versus passengers or is passengers sort of a guess? Passengers is a bit of a guess. Um, although you can piece some of these together based on reporting actually that comes from other countries. So for example, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, they all, they all report the mm -hmm. number of people returned by the United States. So given that I know how many planes there are and the number mm -hmm. of people returned, which are all by air to those countries, you can kind of back into what the average per plane is on, on those flights. Mm -hmm. um, and then other countries, like Haiti, for example, periodically they will report how many people have been returned, which would be all by air. But ICE obviously does not, and manifests are not public. So on, a, on an individual plane, um, you, you cannot tell exactly how many people were on. But on average, you know, you can get a pretty good handle. And that, that yeah. brings up one other thing that I, I, I should mention when we talk about putting the stories together. Um, I plug in with a lot of other people, because even with the numbers and the knowledge of the flights, you can't tell a complete story. For example, why are lateral flights happening? Why are they right. going from this city to that city? What's happening in Tapachula and Villahermosa, Mexico, with the flights that arrive there? Um, I see things happening in San Diego or El Paso. Uh -huh. I have people that I can call. Um, I have some contacts actually in the government that I, I, I speak to sometimes off the record uh -huh. about what's happening uh, and without attribution just to get a better picture. You know, I have uh, contacts in Haiti that I'm in contact with virtually every day. So, you know, that, that's a big piece of putting um, kind of the puzzle and the story together. Right. And I imagine that is particularly so when you when you notice a new behavior, as we must have uh, around the Del Rio debacle. Right, and and sometimes people will also they'll see something and call me. 
and that happens too with with the press i get you know a lot of questions from the press because i distribute this information to the you know immigration journalists around the country and so sometimes they'll actually call me and say hey i heard this was happening what are you seeing there that right. gives me a chance then to go oh i hadn't thought about that but i'll start watching it and you know sometimes a story will emerge and sometimes it won't right and because you're so uh, generous with the data the government and ice must know that you're up to this now and that you're kind of telling their secrets have you had any blowback for that um, no no none at all that i know of um uh -huh. which has actually kind of surprised me because when we initially started i actually used to send the not the full report but the data and mm -hmm. ask them to confirm or deny which which they never did over mm -hmm. about seven or eight months so i stopped doing that but i've never ever been contacted by anyone or had any issues and i you know i distributed to about 35 congressional contacts as well. Oh, wow. Every, Every month. month? Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. So there's probably 35 press contacts that I distribute to, uh, as well as close to 35 congressional offices and and some people in government, actually, because it's a, a way they can get information. OK, so we're talking about um, you said half a dozen, sometimes more chartered airlines, um, 100 planes a day, 200 legs. This is a, a straight up industry. And according to your data, there were more removal flights in 2021 than in 2020, but they made up a smaller percentage of total flights, right? So what does that tell us, if anything, about the deportation policy priorities of each of the two administrations now that have been captured by your data? Yeah, one of the big differences year over year are these, these lateral flights of which, which all occurred in 2021 and into 2022 now. Um, there were over 400 of those flights. Um, so even though they weren't technically removal related, mm -hmm. many, probably the vast majority of those flights ended up with people after they were were, were moved, say, from, um, from uh, Harlingen, Texas to El Paso, probably 100 people out of those planes were then expelled across the border by land. Mm. So effectively, there were probably 300 flights that were removal flights that, that technically did not go out of the country. Oh, oh, interesting. So in the Biden year that we've got now captured in your data, the Haiti debacle that I keep referring to really sticks out. Um, can you highlight key points around that that emerged from your data, emerged from your talking to people along the border? I'd say within the period of time beginning September 19th, uh, there isn't anything that I've seen that that comes uh, close or uh, or more than what we saw in the case of the Haiti expulsions. Mm -hmm. uh, so in 2020, you know, and I'll just use rough numbers here without looking at the report. 35 flights potentially to to Haiti, and then in in 2021, um, before September, um, there were probably around 30 or 35 flights. But beginning in September, um, when uh, things in Del Rio uh, began to um, 
escalate with people coming uh, across the border, virtually they started to send every, I won't say everyone because some people were released, but uh, a very high majority of people were returned directly to Haiti on these Title 42 flights. And so just mm -hmm. in, in, you know, from September 19th, um, you know, up until uh, today, we're talking about, you know, close to 140 flights. Um, wow. And since inauguration, about 175 flights for talking purposes back back to Haiti. Massive, massive number. Um, but, I, you know, I should just say that, in, you know, when we look at Guatemala and Honduras, there are often months where there's 40, 30 flights back to each of those countries as well. So uh -huh. nothing of the magnitude in a, in a, in a consistent and, and concentrated time period as what we saw for, for Haiti. Ever in the history of the United States, not just Haiti, but uh, a mass deportation yeah, of I mean, this nature? Probably not since the 50s with the Mexican deportations. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right. One thing that struck me, uh, because as some listeners will know, I was with you throughout the wanting years of the Trump administration witnessing the mass deportations to African nations. Um, and by virtue of that uncovered the technique of, of using a human restraint device called the RAP to uh, coerce, threaten, punish, and even torture asylum seekers being sent back to harm. Your data, I think goes back as early as August. And then there was one or two flights on big planes a month, right up until Mayorkas is swearing in on February 3rd, when the last big plane charter to, to Africa was stopped. Um, so I was struck looking through your two-year report at the virtual absence of flights to Africa during, during Biden's first year. Um, do you have any thoughts about that, considering there were so many in 2020? Um, one thing I wonder, because as I mentioned, you know, detainees at, at the early part of when we started looking at this and really peaking in, in early 2020 were over 50,000. And it, it could be that um, there's just a smaller population now because people are typically only supposed to be held up to six months and detained. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. could be there is a smaller population that is in, um, is in detention now. I don't know mm -hmm. for sure about that. There still are, you know, deportations that happen occasionally. They're very difficult to catch because, um, you know, the long haul carrier, as you know very well, um, Omni Air, their planes are, are more disguised. Their tail numbers are, you, you can't see them publicly, um, but, you know, both of us are, pretty engaged with many uh, activists and, and advocates in the, in the uh, community for African detainees. So we hear things occasionally, and then we can, we can watch for them. But typically, they've been these small, you know, Gulfstream flights with maybe 10 people aboard versus mm -hmm. the large omnis, with, you know, that were basically full of, of deportees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even though the omni flights were harder to see because they're tails are masked because we should say they're also a Department of Defense troop mover. 
they could be seen and we could anticipate them because of the clues uh, that we were hearing through the grapevine from advocates. But these smaller Gulf streams, they're gonna only hold 10 or 12 people and they can kind of slip from view, I guess. So it doesn't mean necessarily that deportations to Africa aren't happening. It just means we're not potentially seeing them. Yes, and and they're they're most likely not on large planes because then we I, I think you or I would definitely hear from the advocate community because you know a hundred people on a plane people would know enough to raise that up. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose another story that could be told through this is and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but that the Trump administration deliberately wanted to clear its detention centers of African asylum seekers and succeeded. And so, like you said, there are just fewer that are detained. It is definitely possible. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to understand unless you were on the inside, but, mm -hmm. you know, they were very regular. It seemed like, you know, it seemed like there were a couple of months of these large planes that would go to, you know, two, three, four different countries in Africa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On, on one route, um, right? And they did. They did virtually end with the new administration. And we've also seen a lot fewer flights to the northern triangle countries: Guatemala, El Salvador, and uh, Honduras this year, 2021. Can you explain that? Is there a story behind that? Yeah, I mean, part of that is just that there are far more people now being sent back under Title 42. Uh -huh. So again, there's less people in detention that were there pre-Title 42. And um, for a while, these countries were not taking back flights of people subjected to Title 42. So people that were expelled were expelled by land into Mexico. And then about four months ago, Guatemala started accepting Title 42 flights again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you can see in the data, you can see the escalation up to you know 30 and 40 flights a month. And last month, Honduras started accepting Title 42 flights. Mm -hmm. And you can see that the escalation uh, there up to 30 and 40 flights a month as well. And they continue virtually at that pace. So there are some countries that will accept them and some that won't. So Guatemala and Honduras both do. El Salvador will take um, some now, I understand. Brazil will now take Title 42 people and Haiti, of course. Okay, and again, by Title 42 flights, we're talking about straight up expulsions without being processed and being allowed to set foot in the United States. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are you able to calculate in your numbers at all the expulsions or, or deportations that take place by land? Um, no, other than I published that date. I published total um, expulsions by month uh, in the, in the uh, stack, and you can see those. And then, um, you know, I have his, historically just estimated how much has been by air. And that's how I, I come up with it. it. Used to be about five percent were returned by air, um, mm -hmm. and uh, because of the expulsion flights to Guatemala now, uh, Haiti, and uh, and the Honduras, that number is more like fifteen percent being returned by air now. 
How about flights to the interior of Mexico to repatriate Mexican nationals? They seem to have fallen too. Yeah, they, they, they seem to uh, come and go. Um, and there, there hasn't been any now over the last probably four weeks to interior Mexico for Mexican nationals, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which would say that they're all being expelled by land essentially now. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know that change was not totally concurrent, but it was it happened about the same time as Title 42 flights uh, started going back to um, Honduras and Guatemala. So it you know it may have been a, a situation where there was, uh, and I hate to use this word, but there was capacity freed up along <laughs> the border in Mexico's mind to accept their people back by land now that more people from Guatemala, Honduras were going back by air. Oh, that makes sense. You see, we can find the story in the data uh, every time. And, you know, the, there were obviously there was another classification of flights to Mexico, which were the flights to Tapachula and to Villahermosa. I wanted you to speak about those. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, for about four months, there were flights uh, every day to Villahermosa, Mexico and Tapachula, Mexico from the United States. And they were um, primarily uh, Hondurans uh, to Villahermosa mm -hmm. and primarily Guatemalans to Tapachula. And once they arrived in those two cities, then they were then expelled by land from Mexico mm -hmm. uh, into uh, reception centers in Guatemala. There are three cities that have reception centers in, in Guatemala uh, that receive these people. And then the Hondurans in many cases were taken by bus down to the Honduran border to be expelled again. Mm -hmm. um, so we had this kind of a chain expulsion uh, going on where the United States would expel people to Mexico and then Mexico would expel them to Guatemala. Right, otherwise known as chain refoulement. Yes. Right, um, refoulement meaning returning people potentially to harm. And in, at, at some point, frog marching Guatemalans across the border in the Peten jungle and just leaving them there 160 miles away from the nearest town. Yeah, that happened for about a month before they then began. Um, and I was never clear on whether it was Mexico INM, which I had heard, uh, would take them to um, El Cebo, which is the Guatemala reception center that they stood up. But you know, over that time period of those flights, there were and, a little over 140 flights to wow. Tapatul and Villahermosa. And those planes, based on reports that uh, you know, from Mexican press and others were generally full, meaning that there were well over 100 people on those flights. So wow. that like 14,000 people. And including babies. Yes. So the big story here, I think, is that the greatest number of total flights in the last 24 months were in the last four months of 2021. Yes. September, October, November, December, you're showing numbers higher than at any time, even during the Trump administration. Um, which is a real disappointment, isn't it? Yes, I mean, they, the, that, that is concurrent with the ramp up in countries accepting back Title 42 flights. Uh-huh. 
uh, you know, Haiti, Guatemala, and Honduras. And this from a president who promised to bring us a more humane border. Right, and we should remember, as we've said a couple of times, these people have had, they had zero chance, zero, to ask for any form of asylum or protection, which is their legal right. All because right. of Title 42, this bogus made up uh, health order by the CDC. That was put in place by Trump and we had every expectation when we helped elect President Biden that he would lift it because it was bogus and the CDC bridled against it from the beginning and still is. And yet it's still in place. Biden is acting more like his president, Obama, who was the deporter in chief. Correct. Yeah. All right. So in the last few minutes that I have with you, what are your thoughts and plans and, and strategies in the year ahead? Same old, same old, or do you have some new tricks that you want to bring up your sleeve? Yeah, I think, I think it'll be a continuation. Um, to be honest, I was um, thinking I'd be out of this business uh, to some extent at some point. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, this past year clearly wasn't the time to do that. You know, at some point I'll need to look for someone else to, uh, to do this. Right. Well, I know, I know for a fact, because Tom and I are on the, you know, share a chat with Witness at the Border that he is at this... 24-7, and it is such important work. I'm so grateful to you for doing it. Um, it really has broadened our view of the U.S. deportation machine in ways that have been helpful to journalists, to storytellers, to, to academics, uh, to activists. It's truly, truly important work. Um, what do you hope the result of this labor will be? I guess two things primarily. One is just the transparency, that putting the information out there for hopefully others to pick up and amplify the level of transparency around what's happening and particularly um, what's happening under Biden because I, I don't think I was the only one that anticipated a very, very different result than what we're seeing. So mm -hmm. I do think even though it was important under Trump, I think this year has been even more important to be able to bring transparency to the fact that in many respects, it's business as usual. Mm -hmm. So the transparency I think is important, but transparency without outrage um, is also um, something that, that unfortunately we're feeling a little bit now because it seems like it's very difficult, as, as we've all talked in Witness, mm -hmm. of getting people engaged and outraged at what's happening here. Yeah. Um, the, fact that, the fact that one of every 650 people in Haiti has been expelled and sent back under the Biden administration wow. is not something that, I mean, it's something that should outrage people given yeah. the situation and the devastation still that remains in, in Haiti from a political and economic and natural uh, disaster. So I, 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 the outrage is the part that is, is, uh, is, it should come from the transparency. Yes, yes. And we haven't even talked about 
how folks are treated on those planes. I mean, talk about outrage to be in right. five point restraints when you have committed no crime, when you're running for your life and to be in five point restraints for as many as 34 hours, as we saw last year on the flights to say Angola. That for me, that's kids, kids in cages kind of moments. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much for sharing your process with us and for this incredible report. Everybody go to the Witness at the Border website, download it. I'll put it in the show notes to this podcast. And um, hey, I'll see you online. All right. Thanks very much, sir. I appreciate the space to, to talk about this. Anytime. Let's do it again. In the months since Tom and I recorded this episode, Title 42 expulsions have continued apace. U.S. Black History Month 2022 will be remembered as clocking the 20,000th Haitian asylum seeker returned to harm by a Democratic president and administration that continues its forebears policy of halting the possibility for Haitians to apply for asylum at a time of great distress in their home country. U.S. Black History Month 2022 will also be remembered as the month that so far has not brought temporary protected status, or TPS, to the more than 40,000 Cameroonian asylum seekers now in the United States that live under the constant threat of deportation back to harm and in chains, maybe even wrapped, despite the latest scathing report by Human Rights Watch, released on February 10th, that details the innumerable atrocities suffered by the 80 to 90 Cameroonian asylum seekers removed at extraordinary expense to the U.S. taxpayer under Trump. I refer you to that report called How Can You Throw Us Back? You'll find a link to it in the show notes to this podcast episode, as well as to the February 17th disclosure published in The Intercept that among the many corporations profiting from the U.S. deportation machine is Amazon.com. Stay tuned for a future episode of Witness Radio on the campaign to get Amazon to acknowledge how it is making all of us accomplices to torture through its involvement with ICER. For now, I leave you with this headline from a February 18th post by the Quixote Center. President Biden has deported nearly as many Haitians in his first year alone as his previous three presidential predecessors combined. That includes the deporter-in-chief, as well as an avowed white supremacist. As I asked in January's episode of Witness Radio on family separation under Biden, is this what we voted for? Thanks and gratitude to Witness Radio executive producer, Professor Camilo Perez Bustillo, our Patreon patrons, without whom we could not produce this show, and to you, our listeners. I'm Sarah Towell, host and director of Witness Radio, where we aim to discuss all the issues plaguing the U.S. immigration system today. This is why we witness. Subscribe, rate, and review Witness Radio on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And please consider becoming a patron of Witness Radio if you haven't already. Just go to patreon.com slash witnessradio and sign up. We'll see you here, there, and everywhere.
Witness Radio is produced by Livia Brock.